0: So in Matthew chapter 24, verse three, it says, while Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us when these things will happen. And what is the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So after leaving the temple, Jesus foretold of a day when the physical temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed, utterly destroyed, not a stone standing on top of each other. He also mentioned previously that he was going to leave them and then return. And he also mentioned previously to his disciples that one day they would rule the nations with him on 12 thrones. This is a passage that's been big on their minds. Um, In Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, it says this, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this question that's come up for the disciples then is when? When are these things going to take place? When is this renewal of all things? And this section of verses that we've been looking at, chapters 24 and 25 in our Bibles, um, is called the Olivet Discourse. It's a Series of teachings that Jesus shared with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, therefore, the Olivet uh, Discourse. There wasn't a lot of time left, though. This is Jesus getting ready to be arrested and crucified. And these are the last major teaching lessons that he has before that takes place. And as we approach this morning's passage, um, I want us to realize that there's a lot packed in this chapter. Um, There's a lot that we could look at in these chapters. What I want us to do and what David has wanted us to do as we go through this is to keep these chapters in the context of the bigger story and of the chapters around them to make sure that we're understanding at least that part of what Jesus was trying to relate to his disciples. With parables, obviously, there's always layers of meaning that you can garner from them. But we want to keep them in in context. And so as we look at them, we're going to do a quick review here. I'm going to give you a quick review of what we've covered from chapter 24 on. So first of all, we talked about the signs of the times in Matthew 24, 4 through 14. Uh, We were told that there'll be wars and rumors of wars, that the, the kingdom of God will not be evident because of political and social events. In other words, just because you see bad things happening doesn't mean that now is the time when Jesus is coming. Just because you see people being tortured or innocent lives being taken by governments does not mean that the end of all things has come. So Jesus is very clear on that. Um, However, what he did share in Matthew 24, 14, is that during this time, the good news of the kingdom of God needs to be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to the nations and then the end will come. The condition of the physical world should not overwhelm us or send us into the depths of despair. The, the condition of the world around us should remind us that we live in a broken and fallen world, that we ourselves are broken and fallen people, and that apart from the saving grace of, of our God through Jesus Christ, we would remain that way. And it's a reminder that while we are on this earth and we see the brokenness around us, that we have a mission, that we have a job to do to take the gospel to the nations, to all the nations. Now, when we think about that, obviously, we think about missionaries, right? Um, You have every nation almost, it seems, represented in upstate New York anymore. (laughs) But it's about the nation God has put you in and the people God has placed you around, your home, your community your workplace. It's about taking the gospel to those places. So that's the signs of the time. The second thing that was shared was the signs of the second coming in chapter 24, verses 15 through 35. The return of Jesus will happen. It will be something that does not slip under the radar. You're not going to miss it. So you don't have to worry and go, okay, well, maybe I'll miss it. You know, I Nope, you're not going to miss it. It's going to happen, and it will be very obvious that it's going to happen. It's going to reach across the globe, and it's going to happen instantly. And there'll be the second triumphal entry of Jesus, where he will start to establish his eternal kingdom, um, actually here on earth. This is not some zombie apocalypse like uh, our world wants to make it out to be today. It's actually the opposite of a zombie apocalypse, right? It's It's the bringing about of regeneration and new life and new creation. It's the opposite of a zombie apocalypse. Um, it's the renewal of all things. And in Matthew 24, we read this. When you see these things, recognize that, the, that he is near at the door. Notice it doesn't say the end is near. When you see these things that he talked about in those passages, notice that he is near. Who is he? The Messiah, Jesus. So we have taking the gospel to the nations, and we have the fact that Jesus will be near, Okay, when we have the timing of the second coming. Anybody know when Jesus is coming back? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Okay, good. That's good. In 24, 36 through 44, we read that uh, nobody knows. The angels don't know. Nobody on earth knows. Matter of fact, at that time, the Son also said that he didn't know. Jesus didn't know when it was going to happen. I don't know if that's changed. That's between him and God. But at that time, anyway, Jesus said he didn't even know when that would happen. There's two reminders in this section, um, in verses 42 and 44. It says, "Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming." And then in verse 44, that is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the word "alert" means to be awake, kind of like when you're driving, you need to be alert, right? So. That's one word. The other one being ready is really to be prepared. So that's like the Boy Scout. So you need to be a, uh, a good driver Boy Scout. Be alert, be prepared. But what does that really mean? To be alert and to be prepared. I know Jesus is coming and I don't know when and it's going to happen and I'm not going to miss it. And I know that the things that I see in my culture are not telling me that this is or isn't the right time, but there will come a time when it's appointed by the Father where Jesus will return to establish his kingdom and I'm told to be alert and ready, what does that mean? Like, what? how do you do that? And that's really where we get into these parables. Uh, The parables that start at the end of Matthew chapter 24 and go through chapter 25. Jesus gave an illustration at the end of chapter 24 of what it means to be alert and ready. He told the story of a servant and that servant had two choices. Choice one, Act wickedly. Choice two, act faithfully. Kind of simple, right? This is every choice we ever, it seems like we ever make, right? That's a major choice. We can either do what's right or what's not right. Now, I'm not sure we actually read this story together, so I want to read it together. I'm gonna to put it up on the screen. Start with Matthew 24, verse 45. It says, Who then is faithful is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant. Isn't that funny how we add that extra syllable there? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But that wicked servant will say in his heart, oh, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servant and and eats and drinks with drunkards. That servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, in an hour he does not know and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what we're not going to do in our series here is talk about cutting things into pieces and weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're not going to get into the judgment side of things. It's not the focus that I want to have uh, through this time. Uh, But Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and aside from making it very clear that there would be a delay and a long delay at that, he was really encouraging them on how to live during the delay that's what these parables are about that being alert and being ready is also referred to in verse 45 as being a wise and faithful servant and he's trying to prepare his disciples for the long road of discipleship while we wait for the return of the Messiah and the key verse is actually I think in verse 45 I'm sorry verse 46 blessed is the servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. I think that's really the message that he's trying to get across here. Blessed is the servant who is faithful, doing the job when the master actually comes. So I want to notice a few things. The goal here is to be a wise and faithful servant. That's what these teachings are about, to be a wise and faithful servant. And the one that who is is wise and faithful will be in charge of God's household. That's an interesting thing. Who will be in charge of my household, God says. Who will be the wise and faithful one that will be in charge of my household? Who will be in charge of God's people? Uh, They will be the ones who will feed his people. And they are to be faithful to Jesus, his message, and teaching that message to the nations. And I think that this verse 46 is really kind of a key to unlock the parables that take place in chapter 25. So I want you to kind of hold on to that. And then as we filter through the parables, I want you to keep that in mind, being that faithful servant who is doing the work of the Father when he returns, who is wise and faithful. So keep that in mind as we try to unlock these parables. And there's three parables that come up. The first one um, is about the ten young women. Your Bible may call it something else, like the ten virgins or something like that. Um, the, the same word that's used for virgins, I think David covered this last week, is also used to talk about young women. So it's the 10 chen young women uh, who would not be married at this time. Um, that's in chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. There's the investors, which you may have also heard referred to as the parable of the talents. Anybody heard of that before? Yeah. We're going to call it the parable of the investors. We'll get to that in just a minute. And that's in verses 14 through 30. And then there's the parable of the sheep and the goats. How many of you heard of that one before? I, it's like one of those ones that I remember growing up and hearing about the sheep and the goats, and um, I, everybody, I don't, I won't make you raise hands or anything like that. So, um, all of these parables, there's, realize that there's many different ways that people have interpreted them, right? There's many, many ways that people read into uh, parables and connect parables to other passages in Scripture. Um, I would certainly not be so bold or arrogant to say that I have the way of interpreting them. I have a way that I prefer to look at them at this time through these messages. Is that a a safe way to put it? It's not a cop-out, but realize there are always layers and levels of learning when it comes to parables but there's predominantly a message that you can carry through all of them when they're in a section. And that's where I want to focus and not to get sidetracked into some of the other things. If you like the side trails, if you like the rabbit trails, cool. Um, Research them, do your paper, send them to me. I'll critique them, send them back. That's cool. We'll do that. Um, But I probably won't preach on that at this point. So the first parable was the parable of the, the 10 young women, right? And that was in chapter 25, verses 13 and 14. And it's obvious that uh, this is that waiting and waiting for the return of Jesus. And they need to be ready and alert, right? That's one of the passages we just read about. Be ready and be alert. And then we have this parable about this 10 women who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And five of them are ready and five of them are not, right? So being ready and alert. The The wise ladies were prepared. They had enough oil for their lamps, we read. They planned for the delay in case there was a delay. And the other ones were just like, nope, everything will go as planned. I don't have to prepare. The foolish ladies did not prepare. Interestingly enough, I said the word alert means to be awake. All of them fell asleep. And then somebody shouts, he's coming! And they all wake up and they light their lamps and the five of them realize they don't have the ability to keep their lamps going and five of them realize that they do. So five light their lamps and go along with the bridegroom to the celebration, and five of them are out hunting for oil. And by the time they get back, the doors are closed and they're left out. Um, I think the key to that passage, and David went through all that last week, in chapter 25, verse 13, was, um, therefore be alert because you do not know either the day or the hour. So that's part of that be alert message that we've heard um, coming. The second parable is the parable of the investors. Um, You've heard it referred to as the parable of the talents, I'm sure. What do you think of when you hear the word talent? Anybody? A skill, right. How many of you have a talent? Other than how many slices of pizza you can eat? (laughs) No? nobody's got a talent what's your talent we're yes. that's what we're okay i put you on the spot i know you raised your hand so i was going to do that so um i was trying to, trying to be encouraging. oh thanks okay <laughs> i think we all have talents or abilities um, and that's what we think of when we hear the word talent we think of abilities and skills our english word talent took on that meaning of natural ability or skill from a Greek concept. Um, the Greek word uh, that, we get, that we use for talent means something that's weighed and measured of value. And so that word had been adopted into this idea of skills that you have being something that is valuable that you can weigh. It's like an asset. It's something that, that is valuable to you and to those around you. But it didn't take on that meaning until the mid-15th century. So in the 1400s, that's when it took on that meaning. Up to that point, it hadn't. So often we get to this passage and people talk about, this is the parable about talents and use your talents and your abilities for God. But that's not what it's talking about here, though that certainly would apply um, in some ways. Uh, In the Bible, the Greek word is talenton. So T-A-L-A-N-T-O-N. And it refers literally to the amount of weight a soldier can carry. Any soldiers here, how much can you carry? How much does the army make you carry on a ruck? It, it depends. Always a little bit more. Always a little bit more. That's exactly right. <laughs> so what? 75 pounds? 100 pounds? 60 pounds? Depends whether you're light infantry or artillery, right? Um, in, in, this, in the Roman times, that was considered anywhere from 75 to 100 pounds. So a talent was considered about the weight of 100 pounds. And in Revelation chapter uh, 16, verse 21, it talks about these huge hailstones. And if you read your Bible, it probably will say something along the lines of hailstones that weighed about 100 pounds. It's the same word as talent that we have in this passage in Matthew that we just put the word talent in. We transliterate it in and we bring in the Greek word in here, even though in Revelation, for some reason, we translate it as 100 pounds. Okay, but it means about 100 pounds of, usually 100 pounds of silver. So a talent would be about 100 pounds of silver. That's a lot of money. Um, In the New Testament, I'm sorry, the New Living Translation actually, I think, says bags of silver. That one person in this parable was given five bags of silver and another one two bags of silver. Um, The complete Jewish Bible actually says... Um, to one, he gave five talents, the equivalent of 100 years' wages. Because a talent was considered a lot of money back in those days. Um, so talents in this parable are not abilities or giftedness. Most, uh, most directly, it's a large sum of money. That's what Jesus would have been referring to when he was speaking to his disciples. So I'm not talking about applications, but the actual teaching. It was a large sum of money, and the master entrusted this great treasure to his servants to invest until he returns. Now, in banking, um, this makes sense, Uh, but in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not really about money, though some religious groups may want you to believe it's about money, and some may want you to believe that this parable is about God wanting you to have more and more so so people around you can see his graciousness and his goodness and his plenty. Um, that's really stretching this parable where it doesn't belong. Just going to throw that out there. Um, with that in mind, I want to read the parable together. And it's too many verses to put on the screen. So if you have your Bibles or your app, um, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. For it is just like a man, and the it there is the kingdom of God. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. And he called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey, and immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. And his master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So share in your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents, and see, I've earned two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached. And he said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went off and I hid your talent in the ground. And see, you have what is yours. His master replied, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth going on here in these passages. Um, and a lot of questionable things that people have struggled with over the years. Um, in this parable, the, it's a parable about the kingdom of God. And the master is the Messiah. It's Jesus. And you notice he goes away on a long journey. He's definitely preparing his disciples for the long journey concept that he's not going to be returning in just a very short time. So first, let's remember the context of these parables. They're about being a wise and faithful servant, right? They're about the second coming of Jesus and the renewal of all all things. These parables are about the kingdom of heaven. And in particular, this section of parables is about how we are to live during the time between Jesus leaving this earth And the second coming, which will usher in the ends of the age or the times of renewal. So, how do we live in that time? Now, the modern church has very much personalized and individualized this passage. Um, And when you do that, it makes a great devotional. It really does. Um, And it preaches really well. Um, You know, use your talents for Jesus. If you're a dancer, dance for Jesus. If you're a banker, bank for Jesus. If you're a baker, bake for Jesus and your elders, right? I mean, it's, it preaches really well. But Jesus is speaking to tax collectors, zealots, and fishermen. Those are their skills. He was talking about their abilities and their talents the way we do. I think they might have been a little confused why this was Jesus' last words to them on the mountain before he's going to be crucified. Is he saying he wants them to go back to being a zealot and a tax collector? while they wait for him to return? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure Simon would have had all sorts of inner conflict in this, especially Simon the Zealot. It's apparent from the lives of the disciples as we follow them as the apostles in the book of Acts that that is not their understanding of these parables. They did not go back to what they were doing. They instead did certain things that showed that they understood the main meaning that I believe is found in these parables. So I think their understanding was not that God was saying, use your abilities for me while you're gone. Now, I want to pause. (laughs) I do want to say this. God has given every one of us abilities, and we should be using them for his glory. Okay, I, I want to be very clear on that. If God has given you the ability to handle finances, use it for his glory. If he's given you the ability to um, fix things, use it for his glory. However, that's not the main point of this passage, is what I'm saying. That's not where this passage was meant to go. Paul talks about using the abilities that God gives you um, for him in Romans chapter 12. Um, And while we are to use our abilities and gifts for God's glory, I also want to throw in there that it needs to be under the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. We need to allow God to guide us and direct us and not just go out in our own strength. So I want to make sure I have that disclaimer in there because as I'm saying, this is not talking about, I I don't want you to mean that we shouldn't be using our abilities, okay? That we shouldn't be using for God. But That's not what this passage is primarily talking about. Um, We mentioned previously that these parables relate to the Sermon um, on the Hill. So when you have these parables, this teaching in chapters 24 and 25 relate back to Matthew uh, chapters 5 and 6 and the Sermon on the, the Mount or the Sermon on the Hill. And in this passage, Jesus is talking about a large sum of money being entrusted and investing it for the future. Does that ring any bells with the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? That was a long time ago, wasn't it? A long, long time ago. Let me me jog your memory for you just a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it seems like Jesus is telling us a parable about people who are supposed to take money and invest it and get a good return, but then we had Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Hill, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. Remember, Jesus started the parables by saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. So in the economy of the kingdom of God, what is the currency? It's people. It's people being renewed and restored back to their father. We studied that in Matthew chapter 6. Those people who come to know the Savior are the ones that are the treasures that are stored up in heaven that we will one day get to be with. Because anything you earn on this earth, you will not have in heaven with you other than to see the souls of those who have come to know Christ during your time on earth. They're the true treasure. Luke has the same story that we read about in Matthew chapter 6, but he points out a little bit different side of this treasure, and so I want to read that one with you as well. Luke chapter 12. "...but seek the kingdom, and all these things will be provided to you. And don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." This is the exact opposite of what we would seem to be hearing about in this parable in chapter 25. Sell what you have and give to whom? The church, right? No. Sell what you have and give it to the poor. When we consider these two teachings about treasure and about investing and about the currency of the kingdom of heaven, we can see that real wealth is defined by that which honors and glorifies God. It's defined by people who come to know him and by us loving others the way he does by giving of ourselves for them. It's about not keeping a tight hold on things of this earth, but using the things of this earth to invest in that which really matters, other people for the kingdom's sake. And I think that you'll see as we continue through these parables, not just this one on the talents, but also in the next one that, Lord willing, we'll look at next week about the sheep and the goats, that it's very much about the currency of the kingdom being about living your life in such a way to honor God by the way we treat others and by the way we respond to him. So this parable of the talents says that um, the, the master looks at the servant that had the five talents and got five talents back and the two talents and got two talents back, and he said to him that both of them got the same statement made back to him. He said, Well done. Enter into your master's joy. It's kind of an odd statement, isn't it? Enter into your master's joy. I think we have to also meditate on that a little bit. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to bring the master joy and for us to enter into that joy? Um, Matthew 25, 21 says, Uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Well, it was the Father's good pleasure to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. It brought him joy to adopt us into his family. How cool is that? It was the Father's good pleasure... um, that people would come to know him and experience the rest that they can have through the Messiah in Matthew eleven twenty five 25 and through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and you will find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon me learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart. The master's joy, if the master is Jesus, is probably something along the lines of what we read in John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, so remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. And I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. To enter into the Master's joy is to celebrate in the same joy that the Master has. And Jesus talked about this. What brought the joy to Jesus? The joy that he had came from his obedience to the Father. And as we are obedient to the Father and submissive to him, it brings us the same joy that he has. So if we're to enter into the joy of our Master, It's going to be connected with remaining in the love of Jesus and demonstrating that love to others. It's going to be about being faithful in how we live for God and how we treat others. Do we see these messages, just looking at this John 15 passage, do you happen to see that message in any of these parables? Do you see it in this parable of the talents? If you know the parable of the sheep and the goats, do you see it in that parable as well? God has entrusted us with the stewardship of the gospel and of relationships. He's entrusted that to us. We started out our parable with the master coming and giving the most valuable thing that he had, all of his possessions, to his servants. Well, I'm going to tell you the most valuable thing that the father has is the son. And the thing he values more than anything on this earth are the people he created, which is why he gave his son for them. We have been entrusted with the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and the message of the Father while we wait for the return of our Savior. And it's how we live in this time between when he left and when he will return again that we're talking about in this passage. I want you to notice a couple things. Each one was given a stewardship based upon what the master thought they could handle. The master went to the one and said, oh, you can handle five talents, I'm going to give you five. You can handle two, I'll give you two. You can handle one, I'll give you one. There's no difference, though, at the end, in the reward for the one who doubled five versus the one who doubled two. Did you catch that? No difference in reward. Sounds like some other teachings that Jesus had. Though the net gain for the master was different, the reward for the servant was the same. And I think that this is something really important for us to grab a hold of here. If we're talking about how we live in this time, I think one of the challenges that I faced is um, dear brothers in Christ that I know that are also um, attempting, by the grace of God, to shepherd the flocks that God has put them under, pastors and elders in other churches, that have often felt like they need to apologize for being in a small church. Or somehow seeing the ministry of a small church family as being less significant than the ministry of being in a megachurch. Have you ever experienced that? The pastor of a small church who is faithful to feed and lead, chapter 24, verse 45, a small part of God's family is just as significant to the kingdom as a pastor of a megachurch who is faithful to feed and lead and the reward is the same. It's about faithfulness. It's not about the total net outcome. It's about faithfulness in what God has entrusted to you. I think it's important that we understand that because I think that sometimes as Christians, we think that God can't use us or that we're not able to do much for God, and yet our faithfulness in doing what God has called us to do individually is what is rewarded not whether it's this big of an outcome or this big of an outcome. The missionary who spends an entire life permeating a people group with the love of Jesus, telling them about Jesus, and never seeing anybody come to Christ, is just as significant to the kingdom of God as the person who holds a rally and shares the gospel and sees thousands of people come forward if they are both being faithful to do the work that God has called them to do. We should be careful not to measure the kingdom values by sheer volume of converts, size of the church, but rather by faithful service to God and to others. Amen? The economy of the kingdom is faithful service with whatever God has given you. It's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The challenge was, who will be the wise and faithful servant that I can pass things off to? The qualifications are faithful and wise, alert and ready. I believe that this message is initially for the disciples. He's on the mountain speaking to his disciples. He's about to be crucified, which is going to totally destroy their world because it's not what they had in mind. Even though he said he was going to be crucified, I'm sure he's thinking it's coming down the road or somewhere else, but he's about to get arrested and crucified, and they're going to wonder what to do after that. And then they're going to expect that he's going to come back really soon, and Jesus is telling them, not coming back really soon. (laughs) I think he's made it pretty obvious, but those are things you just kind of gloss over until that happens, right? And I think he's reminding his disciples first and foremost that, listen, while I'm gone, don't get discouraged. Don't lose hope. Don't say he's not coming back. Don't say, you know, he's, I must have misunderstood. Be faithful to do what I've gifted you and called you to do until the day I return. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Invest in the kingdom by making disciples so that the kingdom will continue to grow until it reaches the ends of the earth. Matter of fact, what is he going to tell his disciples? At the end of chapter Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 28, he said say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you even to the ends of the age. I'll be with you and all the disciples after you until that day comes when the renewal of all things will take place. But be faithful. Be faithful. Because we need to take the gospel, they need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, because that has to take place before Jesus returns, right? Isn't that what we read? I believe this is also a message to church leaders today, that we are to continue to make disciples and invest in the kingdom. And that's true whether you've uh, been entrusted with a small flock in, in Podunkville um, or thousands in uh, the big city. Be faithful to invest in the kingdom by loving others, teaching them about Jesus, and helping them know the Father. Just be faithful. It's something I know I've wrestled with at times as a pastor in upstate New York. Why have I wrestled? I prayed that God would allow me to stay in a church congregation where I wouldn't have to move. Because I saw other pastors, two three years, they're gone. Right? Every two three years, another pastor in, another pastor out. So we prayed, God, put us someplace where we can stay. We were not specific enough. God put us next door to a military base. And in June or July, we'll say goodbye to some very dear friends of ours as we watch three more families go someplace else where God has taken them. I'm still arguing with God over the terms of the, of the you know, contract I signed with him on that. Um, but in fairness to him, he did actually honor my prayer request. So when you spend 30-something years pastoring a church and you're still around 80 to 120 people depending upon the season... You can start to question, is this, am I, should I I just quit and let somebody come in here who can actually grow things? You start to to wrestle with, you know, is there something wrong with me? Then you realize that every life that comes in here that we are faithful to love and to serve and to help them serve And church, let me tell you, this is a church body. Every military family that comes in here that you push past the hurt of knowing you're going to have to say goodbye and knowing it's going to hurt and you choose to love them and to serve them, knowing that it's going to be painful down the road, is part of that long submission and long obedience for the gospel. Do not lose hope and do not measure the impact of God's ministry through you based upon the size of Carthage, New York, or North Country Fellowship Church. Mm -hmm. Don't. And while this parable seems to be directed to those that lead, those that will feed um, the the family of God, it obviously applies to us as individuals. (laughs) Every one of us must be wise and faithful, prepared and alert doing what we can in the place that God has put us to invest in the kingdom by loving God, loving others, and sharing Jesus with them. Some of you, God is going to take from here very soon. When he moves you, he is not just moving you because the government said so. He's not just moving you so that you can have a more cush life or not have to travel again. He's moving you because He has a place for you to go to do his kingdom work in this world. And it's my prayer that as you go, you will be praying that God will show you the neighborhood you should be in, not because of the house you'll have, but because of the lives that he wants to impact. That you'll be asking God to show you the church that you should serve in, not the one that will give you the most, but that you can serve in the most to make an impact for the kingdom. And that you'll appreciate the lives that he brings into your life, even when they leave, and that you'll invest in the kingdom each and every day. Those of us who are still here, who remain in upstate New York, who love 10 months of winter and our four seasons, who think that allergy meds are just a normal part of life, be faithful to serve God. You have a community that is very hard against Christianity, hard-hearted, that feels like because they have their family in upstate New York, they don't need anything else. They have their schools, they have their activities, they have their sports. What more do they need? Don't give up. They need to know the God who loves them. And we have been called to be faithful to that here, if God keeps us here. So, though this is a message for the disciples on the mountain to keep them mindful of the fact that Jesus is delayed in coming, but he will return, while he is gone, we are to be faithful to take what he's given us, what is most valuable, our salvation, our faith, and to invest that for the kingdom so that when he returns, we can stand with him and celebrate the return of investment of the souls that get to spend eternity with their Savior. I think the Apostle Paul would have put it this way. Pay careful attention, then, how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the Lord's will is that none would perish, but that all would have eternal life. May you and I be alert and ready. May we be found wise and faithful, carrying out the mission of God every day, that he delays his return, knowing that his delay is so that more people could come to know him. I'm going to challenge you to stop using the phrase, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And instead, grab a heart that says, Lord, hold off as long as you can until more people know you. Because one is very self-focused, and the other has the heart of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that we have this privilege, this joy, this commissioning of being your vessels, your tools, your partners in this work of the ministry. Thank you for loving us enough to send Jesus to die for us. Thank you for showing us forgiveness and grace. Uh, We know we don't deserve it, and that's the point. But Father, help us to live each and every day that you've given us on this earth with the reality in mind that you are coming back, and what we have in this earth is not going to matter, but what we invest in for you and for your kingdom is what will make a difference. Father, give us a kingdom heart, kingdom eyes. Teach us how to invest in what really does give a return. To store up treasures in heaven. Help our hearts to be focused on that so that our investments are pure. We thank you for loving us enough to draw us to you. Help us to love others enough to share you with them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.